Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening. I'm Dr. Nefertiti Noel. And I'm Darren Noel. And we're here for another installment of Relationship Wednesday. So we're excited that you're here. Let me give you a little bit of background. My background is I run a thriving private practice in Naperville, Illinois. Um, we also have a location in Chicago. We're online and telephonic. So you can get to us um, in which way you need to. So if you have questions about tonight's show or you hear what we're talking about and it strikes a chord with you and you need a little bit more deeper support, give us a call at the office, 630-428-2344. If you have a specific question tonight, give us a call at 323-693-3835. And just as background, we are a full-service behavioral health, so we do everything from medication management, family therapy, individual therapy, group therapy, and workshops. Yep. And I'm Darren Noel. My background is in corporate America. Here in Noel Associates, I focus on mock interviews, resume consults, and coaching. All right. So tonight our topic is setting goals with teens and tweeners, which um, you know we love to talk about family and relationships. And I feel like the relationship that our children have in our family is very, very interesting. And we actually don't, as a show, spend a lot of time on teen and tweeners. So we wanted to spend some time with that with you tonight. We have a new associate to introduce you to today. Yeah, we have Leah Travers Pucci. We want to welcome her to the show. And Leah is a licensed clinical social worker. She's been doing that for over 18 years. She's got a master's degree in social work. And she's done significant work with K-12 grades, families, as well as children with special needs. And she, again, like Dr. Well mentioned, she's one of the newest members here at the Walnut Associates Counseling Firm. So welcome, Leah, to the show. Thank you. Nice to be here. Mia, can you give us a little bit of your background on working with, with youth? Sure. Um, I've been um, a school social worker mm-hmm. uh, for the past 18 years and have worked uh, with a lot of um, students with special education, um, special needs, um, students with significant uh, maybe emotional disabilities, um, autism, developmental delays, so kind of a whole gamut of students with disabilities. Um, And then just some general education support as well in terms of doing groups, um, conflict resolution, um, and other things like that that go on in middle and high school. Good stuff. And this is all of the meaty stuff that as parents, and you used to be a tweeter, right? Whoever you are, if you don't, if you don't have a teen or tweeter, (laughs) you used to be one. So your school counselor is that person, at least for me, that I should actually love to go see the school counselor. First of all, mine had candy in the office, <laughs> which I think was just a ruse to get yeah, that always helps to get the kids in. Um, but the school counselor is also that person that your kids will have contact with if they're concerned, right? And so it's interesting. I want you guys, if you have questions, email us. Pick. Um, oh, I'm sorry. School social worker is different. Tell yes. me. Tell me. Tell sorry. The um, school counselor is a different degree. Um, and they also focus on that social-emotional piece, but they also have a huge part with scheduling, um, especially in high school. So um, they will see some general ed kids and do some groups okay. and stuff, um, but they also look at building-wide um, interventions um, and, like I said, presentations, groups, and social-emotional piece, but in high school it's geared more towards their academic um, scheduling and career college readiness. Okay, and what, so what does the school social worker do to pull that out? School social worker would uh, focus more on students that have special education and um, IEPs with social-emotional needs, um, and then that would 
most likely be their first priority because that is a legal document. Um, and then outside of that, uh, participating in groups, um, you know, intervention groups, support groups, conflict resolution, a lot of overlap with the school counselor. Um, there are just a few fine differences that, that are good to know. Awesome. Yeah. For people who don't know what an IEP is, I'm can you? sorry. <laughs> an individual education plan. So if your student has uh, maybe a learning disability or um, ADHD and they qualify for like a health impairment to help get support, it's anything that might negatively impact their academic growth. Okay. So, so for the people listening, if you if you're considering or your school has suggested an IEP plan for your child. Um, Leah may be a great contact for you to come in and do some Absolutely. sessions with us to talk about what that can feel like and what um, what an IEP should look like. I know a lot of people are, you have two factions, people that yeah. want an IEP because they want to know that their kid's going to have set goals and people who are afraid to get it because they don't want their kid labeled. My fingers just went up and quotes. And yeah. soon, guys, you will see us live because we got our camera and lighting in. <laughs> yes, yes, you'll, yes. See, oh. you'll see all my hand gestures, and I'll try not to rub my hair the whole time I talk. But um, <laughs> but you should definitely give the office a call and talk to yeah. Leah about those things because for parents and families, that can be pretty scary. And it's just not – it's just sometimes parents don't have the language to handle and I and um, Leah can help give you the wording and what you need for that. And also here we do school on-site, so sometimes we'll come out to the school to see mm -hmm. what's happening for your kid at that school, and Leah will be an awesome resource for that. So just if you're considering that, if the school has suggested it, if you're seeing a trend of concerns that your child needs some assistance with, Leah will be a great contact mm -hmm. for that. Yep. So let's talk a little bit about goals. So, so question, let's take a, let's take a vote. To do or not to do, set goals with your teen or tweener. Darren, what do you think? I think you should absolutely start goals because you want to start them in a process as get them ready for uh, young adulthood, adulthood. Let's start as soon as possible. Get them setting goals and so they can start achieving things. Okay. Absolutely. I think setting goals helps them develop um, social emotionally and can help build um, just life skills that they're going to need throughout school and the rest of their lives. I mean, now you have so many specialized high schools in that you need to start even junior high school. So, mm -hmm. what do you want to do? I want to be an engineer. I went to engineering high school, right? Some people have uh, performing arts high schools and you know STEM high schools. So, kind of figure out which direction you want to kind of go to. Absolutely. You know, I I really think goals take away a lot of arguments that um, parents have with their teens and tweeners, right? And we or may not. Leah's cringing. It oh, may no. not be right <laughs> um, And it also, though, you have to look at some goals are set for a teen or a tweener, mm -hmm. and some goals they get to set for themselves. Right. True. So we have to tease out the things that they get to choose that they're going to do, and the things they don't get to choose. Right. So if your child is in school, passing is a must do. Like that goal is just set. That there's a certain grade you have to get to move forward. Right. And right. so. Um, but there's things that your kids can be involved in setting the goals for, right? Like how well I do in a class, what rewards I get. And this is a tricky subject when I talk about rewards for setting goals. What rewards you get. Um, are you setting goals for in-school? Are you setting goals for out-of-school? Are you setting goals for extracurricular activities? Are we setting goals for, like, um, Darren and I have goals for our daughter that she cannot get. She doesn't get TV and um, digital time during the week. Right. 
she gets it on the weekend, mm-hmm. and we don't, like, hamper how much time she spends on the weekends. Side note, I secretly do make sure that she only still gets a little bit of time on the weekends. But we set the goals based on how well she's doing, right? Like, when you're doing really, really well, then I won't take away your weekend time. But if your attitude is shifting or things are not going the way that mom and dad like it to go, which is our subjective goal for her, right, then you don't get to have that time. But, Leah, talk. Oh, go ahead. Well, and I think sometimes we forget that, telephones or, you know, cell phones and all the digital stuff is really still a privilege. Um, I pay for the cell phone. I pay for Internet. If you're not performing up to an expectation that maybe we've agreed upon, because my daughter's in high school, so it might look a little different, um, then that's a privilege you're not going to have. So the car doesn't belong to you. You're blessed to have a car. Right, right. (laughs) Um, So that's that's not a, it's still a privilege, which that's I think is point. important to, to point out. It's not dinner, right? <laughs> right, right. So for parents that are t- thinking about goal setting for your children, first thing is write down what area that you want your child to set goals in. And then think about how much of it gets to be what they choose and how much of it gets to be what you choose. For example, um, when I was going off to college, College was not a choice for me. My parents were just, the, the language they spoke was, when you go to college, yeah, right? Absolutely. The choice I had was, which Ivy League college would I go to, right? So they <laughs> narrowed down my choice for me, and then, then they allowed me to choose within that, right? So you have to have, be comfortable with um, how much leeway you want to give your children. And as Leah just said, so she's talking about her daughter as a high schooler. We're talking about our daughter as an elementary school student. The goals are going to be very different for that age range, right? And how much control you have over a 7-year-old is very different than how much control you honestly have over um, over a 17-year-old, right? So maybe, Leah, speak to that a little bit. Um, well, I think definitely their social-emotional needs are so different at, the, at those different times. Um, if, like, I'll talk about middle school for a minute, um, I think it's important as parents with your middle schooler to help them set goals. If it is academic um, and they want to play a sport, a lot of times that, that is built in for you almost because you have to have a certain grade point to be on a sports team. Um, but that's also a goal that you can set with your child. Like, if you maintain, you know, a B average and you want to do the play and volleyball, whatever the things are, um, you know, make sure that's something that you present and maybe it's agreed upon uh, or you present it like you're going to agree upon it with Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. Um, And when they are successful, that's great. Give them that recognition, that praise. Um, If their grade drops below B and you set that, then they, they need to have the consequence of it so that they learn how to reach a goal, like I didn't do it or, you know, I didn't study for this test, um, you know, mom's been hounding me all the time, she's on my back, um, I didn't study, I got an F, now I can't be on the team. So that natural consequence is so important in terms of them learning how to kind of recoup from mm-hmm. a failure or even a sure. goal not being met. Absolutely. And it also depends on how much um, natural consequence you want yourself to have, too, right? Like, because sometimes you have to pick up the pieces for those natural consequences. So sometimes I will manage a consequence for my daughter so that I don't have a bigger consequence at the end, right? So, for example, off air we were talking about tomorrow 
my daughter was supposed to um, try out for a play, and they let her pick when she was going to do it. So she just kind of said the word Thursday. And then this morning she was like, Thursday's next week, right? And I'm like, no, <laughs> Thursday is tomorrow, right. so you're not necessarily prepared. So I managed to switch the time as a protection for her because I didn't want the emotional fallout of because um, when you're seven, your whole body gets involved in your disappointment. You're laying on the floor, you're rolling on the floor, you know. In high school, too. Oh, it's actually not that different, yes, right? So there's a certain amount of management that parents have to do. But on the other hand, I would say that I do agree with Leah that if you don't prepare your children, that they what they do matters, right? So if you don't study, I will not forget freshman year in college. We went, mm-hmm. Darren and I went to the same college. I will not forget freshman year. I have been straight A's from kindergarten to senior year, and in senior year I was in almost AP everything. Every AP <laughs> thing was available. I went to college. Um, I was also number one in my high school class. When I went to college, everybody was number one in their high school right. class. Everybody had AP courses. I was not a big fish in a little pond. We were all guppies together. Mm-hmm. And the amount of homework, and I thought I had a lot of homework in high school, right. but I didn't when I realized I used to do most of it, you know, on the way home or most of it in at lunch? lunchtime, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And I could come home and say, oh, Mom, I did everything. I could type a five-page paper overnight and it would be like A quality, right? That did not work for me for college, right? Yeah. And it was really interesting that I, I remember calling my mother saying, well, actually, freshman year went pretty good. It was the first time I took this crazy math class in sophomore year. And I called my mother and I said, I don't know what to do for this class. Do I, do I stay in it and get the D for dismal? Mm-hmm. Or do I withdraw from it and have to take it over again? I remember that was the first time in my academic life that I had ever felt um, I didn't fail the class, but I felt like a failure in the class, right? Okay. And it was interesting how my parents handled, like my mother said, well, what are you going to do? Like, did you study? And what's the consequence of getting a bad grade in this? Will you get into medical school with a D? And I knew the answer was no. Like, it, right. like I knew because the, there was a book for all the medical schools and the MCAT and everything that told us what it was going to look like. And none of it corresponded with that D that I was getting in, I think it was either organic chemistry. I, now I've forgotten the class because I retook it somewhere else and I got a really good grade, but I just remember having to eat that um, feeling, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. So what do you suggest that parents do to help kids in that scenario? Do we cover for them? Do we let them fall? Um, so as a parent, I've done both. And uh, I think some of it is situational. Um, recently, an example I can give is, uh, you, you know, high school starts at 7 a.m. So daughter gets up at 6, she's in the car by 6.30, likes to get there early for the parking spot. Um, she has overslept a few times and has begged me to call her in. Um, drive me to school so I don't have to walk in the snow. Um, and I'm like, absolutely not. I'm not inconveniencing myself because you overslept. Like, your crisis is not my emergency. Okay. Um, and that's something, a simple example. Obviously, if there's safety risks, then it's a crisis all around. Um, but also, I think in terms of grades, like she's been in a couple of AP classes and has done really well in the class, didn't study, didn't pass the test. She didn't put all that together until we were visiting a college and they looked at her AP score and said, oh, well, we're going to take this credit, but we're not taking this one because you didn't pass the test. And then it was like a light bulb went on. So it almost didn't matter how much I said. She had to experience it. Um, and that's painful as a parent. We have to let go of some of our anxieties as a parent 
because it's not a failure on our part if our kids fail and learn from that. Does that make sense? It's it does. Yeah, it's not easy to anything, do. No, it's right, not it's not. And to sit back and kind of watch them go through that, mm-hmm. you want to save your kids, sure. right? Absolutely. You can't always do that. And I see that, oh, but do you see that changing as you go from a tweener to a teenager, how much you protect them a little more? Obviously, it may uh, loosen that protection a little more as they get older, so it'll it'll change as, as the child gets older, I'm assuming. I, I definitely think, think so, and it's also so individual to your child, too. Like, if you mm, okay. have a child with, that is struggling with depression or anxiety, ADHD, those things definitely impact how they mature social-emotionally. Um, you know, research says... Children with ADHD are at least two years behind socially. So you're looking at an eighth grader who physically might look like an eighth grader and, and, you know, is doing eighth grade work and functioning, but socially they're functioning as a sixth grader. So I think in situations like that, it's knowing your child and if they're dealing with any issues and how you navigate that through the school system. and keeping them involved with things that are making sure that, I want to say goals are obtainable, but also what they're doing. Their activities are fun. Um, they're enjoying it because it's, you know, school is a struggle or their peer relationships are a struggle. They need to have some place in their lives mm-hmm. where they feel successful. Absolutely. I think you also have to look at what's the emotional context at home, too. Like if a parent comes to me and says, Dr. Noah, I'm really upset with my daughter. She's spunking off her classes. And I say, what's going on? And mom says, well, um, grandma passed away a month ago. The dog died two weeks ago. And her, 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 my, her, me and her dad are getting a divorce, right? So that immediately lets me say to the parent, why, let's not be so harsh on the grade, right? right? right. Um, because she could be dealing, she or he could be dealing with that emotion by not being able to focus in class or sure. not being able to right. do those things, right? So we have to look at what else is going on. Um, another thing that happens a lot in, in middle school, I have parents come in, is kids have a lot of social anxiety about going to school. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so then we start, a parent says, Dr. Noel, how many days do you expect that my daughter should go to school? How do we set that? And if she goes to school three days, should I buy her? What should I buy her the third day? What should I get her if she goes to school two weeks in a row? How do we support that kind of token economy, um, that token economy of, of doing something well and then getting a cookie right. for it, right? So um, I've worked with a lot of school refusal students, and they've been both boys and girls. Um, and the reason may be a little different, um, but I think as coming from that school perspective, the consistency is so important. Um, And that is definitely working with the parents, too, because if the child has anxiety about school, um, then the parent has anxiety about the child having it to cycle. Mm -hmm. Um, And we set the rule of if you don't have a fever of 100 and you aren't throwing up, then you go to school. Like, we set that expectation with the family. Um, and there are times when I've been able to go with another school employee to a child's house and make sure they're up out of bed on the bus. Okay. Um, unique situation does not always happen, um, and we were just fortunate because the team really supported that. Um, and it was, um, you know, a student with some significant anxiety. So we were able to work through that and help them feel safe coming to school. Um, so. It's 
working with the school to support that because um, you need school personnel that are going to back you on dragging your kid into school because that needs to happen and, right. and that's okay. Uh, and again, it's not your failure, it's whatever's happening with that child. They need more support and that's okay. Um, and that's not something you can always do as the parent um, because you're still the parent. You still have to maintain that relationship at home. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think it's also interesting to, to think about, um, in my day in middle school and high school, everyone just had to come. Like there was right. parenting issues. Like we, we didn't have the language of I feel anxiety and I can't go to school. Right. So there was a deal <laughs> where, like, yeah, right. when the school right. bell rang, we were all in the seats. And, mm -hmm. like, like, my family's rule is if you're not comatose, you're at school. Right. That's it. Like if there's no blood involved and you're not in a coma, you right. can go to school and be okay, right? Because most kids, when they stay home, they're watching TV and they have the energy to watch TV, play games, because it's still safer, right? And they're, right. we're not stretching you at school at all. I mean, not at school, oh. at home at all. Whereas at school, you really do get stretched by your peers, by your teachers, by the environment, by the expectations, by what we're expecting of you. And I think, think Leah makes a very good point. Some things are must-do, right, right. and we just, we just must-do them. Mm -hmm. um, I think what's interesting, though, is sometimes the parents' expectations are different. I've had parents come to me and say, I just want my daughter to not have anxiety, and if that means not going to school, then we'll homeschool. Mm -hmm. Or then we'll do, um, there's these degrees, you can, high school degrees you can get online, right. so people will do different things of mm -hmm. that nature. And, and we're not judging. Where you fall is where you fall, but I think one of the things we have to look at is, how do people function, like helping your kids set goals that will help them function well in greater society, right? Mm -hmm. And at work, for the most part, unless you're given the day off, you've got to show up, yes. right? You can't say, um, I mean, there have been some cases, and those cases always make the news where someone has anxiety mm -hmm. and they can't come to work, and they've had to sue the organization. Like, it's not just as simple as saying that I need a, a special plan to not come to work. It's a forced situation. Right. Yes, that's what the process is. Paperwork involved, you know, mm -hmm. lawyers are involved in it, right? It's not just something, oh, yeah, it's not a big right. deal. No, it's a very big deal. And, although and, and there's nothing that's normal, quote, unquote. You know, some things are traditional. Working is a traditional thing, right? And so there's always somebody that um, falls on either end of the bell curve, right? right? And so there's always someone that's an outlier. But in general, we're suggesting that, you know, you set goals for your kids to help them work out whatever issues they have. They can still function in a way that's productive for them long term. question I had that I thought about was, do you see any differences, Lee, in your experience between boys and girls in the way you're setting goals and things of that nature? Do you see anything different? Um, not one that I can think of off the top okay. of my head. Um, it, it just depends on that student because there's so many. I think of um, setting goals for projects or setting goals for, um, you know, your grades so you make it on a team. Like those right. expectations are the same for boys and girls. Okay. Um, how you work goals, again, I think it's more specific to your child. Okay. Um, not necessarily gender, so to speak. Okay. okay. Um, I'm sure people experience it differently. Right, right. Um, but some goals or, um, you know, if we have behavior charts at school, uh, those look the same for consistency, for the students, for the teachers, for the parents, um, so they all look the same. The specific goals might be different because they're looking at different issues. Okay. Um, like I'll turn my homework every day um, for the expectation of I'll be able to go to the school dance. So that's more of a middle school goal that 
I've seen stuff. Um, or, you know, I turn, I'm on time every day for school, so I get to have the pizza lunch on Friday. Uh, right. Depending on what's right. important to them. Um, it might be important that they have their cell phone over the weekend or that they get to go to their friend's house or go mm -hmm. to the mall um, or go to the game. So whatever it is that's specific to your child, you can work that into the goal. Um, I did just want to say one thing about like scheduling when you're looking at projects or schoolwork. Um, I think it's important to try to work out a system with your child in terms of looking at those long-term um, goals and how do we get there. I don't think that's something that we're necessarily born with, like, oh, let's, mm -hmm. we know how to set goals. Um, so if there's a project that's due in a month, how do we break that out week to week? Um, and, you know, maybe they have to put a half hour in each night or, you know, a couple of times and whatever it is to get if it's a science project, get the science project done. Um, so you set those goals with them mm -hmm. and check in um, how they're doing. And ultimately, you've set up that structure for them. Hopefully, they're functioning within that structure and performing. And that's where it can get kind of starts that learning process of, here's a goal, here's the process. Did you work the process and hit your goal, or did you not work the process and you didn't hit your goal? Um, so I think that's a huge learning curve in middle into high school because there are some times that my daughter's still learning that. Absolutely. <laughs> I think also teaching kids that time management matters too helps yeah. them with goal setting, right? Yeah. Like if you have a science project, we can't start the night before, right? Right. Um, there's a step process to that. Right. Yeah. Right. Like my daughter did um, last year. I think we studied. Which bubble gum, so seventh grade, seven-year-old yeah. projects are very different. Which bubble gum make, makes the biggest bubble? Yep, is that what it was? Yeah, that's what it was. Um, so she had to make a list of all the bubble gums she wanted, all the places she thought the bubble gum would be. How are we going to pay for this bubble gum? Who's going to blow the bubble and measure the bubble? Who's going to write down all of these things? And so, like we started a couple weeks ahead with, do you have your list? Okay, now let's go and get bubble right. gum. And you'd be amazed how many places you have to go to get bubble gum <laughs> right. day. I'm like, where do you sell big red? Um, but <laughs> She literally was like, we've done something every day for the past week. And I said, and that's how a project worked, right? right. That you have to do something every day. You can't go to sleep because she was like, I'm going to go to sleep. This is what she said. I'm going to go to sleep, and then you can label things. So <laughs> no, like that's not exactly how it's going to happen. Right. Um, and that goes into high school. We were looking at scholarships, and um, my daughter thought it would be great if I wrote it for her. Um, I said, absolutely not. You know, this isn't, I'm not doing that. We can talk about it. I can guide you, right. um, but that's your scholarship. I'm mm -hmm. not writing it for you. Right. <laughs> I've written my scholarship right already. I don't need right. to do that again. Um, but even though taking that into middle school and high school in terms of those deadlines and semesters ending and grade grade books close, you can't enter mm. late work, um, and how to move into college with that, and mm -hmm. that can be a huge challenge. Absolutely. A lot of work is done in classrooms. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Also, like, I've noticed a few things that when parents do all of the work, again, you get a kid that goes into, if they transition from elementary school to middle school or middle school to high school mm -hmm. or high school to college, this child doesn't have the tools it takes to do the work that is going to be right. required of them. Right. And there will come a time that you can't do the project for them. So the same science project my daughter had last year, 
Um, one of the kids did a project that it was no way a, a first grader did the project. Like, <laughs> like I'm looking at mom and dad who are both engineers, like my husband is, and I said, it's no, they did the project, yeah. right? And so my daughter's project very much looked like a second, a first grader did it, but it's because I said to her, you have to do it. Right. Right. And if it's not neat enough for you, want the letters bigger, you get up the eraser. Now, I'm, I sat with her. We talked about right. layout and structure. I'm not going to be eating bonbons while she's doing homework. But we've got to show them. I mean, at least that's how I was raised. I had to do all of my own homework. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Absolutely. I had to do. There might have been, my mother's a great editor. She's very good at wordsmithing. Yeah. So when I wrote letters to colleges or mm-hmm. things of that nature, she definitely would edit for me. And that's not, I don't think, in any way enabling your child. That's helping them learn the difference between writing a note to your friend and writing an essay for mm-hmm. entry to college or, um, you know, if you're writing an article, that's a huge thing because I teach a college class and there are times when I get a paper and it's like the student's texting me the <laughs> written paper. Um, and that scares me because I'm like, you're in college, we wow. need to be able to write a we'll formal right. yeah, paper. Um, and that comes from sitting with your child and editing a paper or reviewing it or having those lessons. Um, so that's... That's not like helicopter parenting, but that is like teaching parenting, some skills mm-hmm. that your child, they need to know. Because I think one of the things that's interesting is that um, when I was a kid, I, I learned that before you write a paper, you write a template. There's another name an for outline. it. An outline. An <laughs> outline. Thank you. You write an outline. Yeah. And my mother sat with me and showed me how to do my first outline, and I still really outline my papers that way. Like it's not probably not as basic as that. But I was working, um, I too was teaching a college class, and I asked the student to show me their outline. And some of them were, like, deplorable. Right. And I asked one girl, "Where? what is this? And she said, well, I kind of Googled outline. Like, she literally um, didn't have the concept in her head. And I think the difference is that some generations, like, for my husband, our technology came for us a 